Welcome to the Moose Room, everybody. OG3's here, and we have a guest. It's someone that we've all been missing, haven't been able to see him very, very much during COVID. Tom Rothman is with us. Hi, How Tom. are you? <laughs> good to see you. Good. Yeah, it's good to see you, too. We we really do miss seeing you at all these trade shows and being able to to interact with you and 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 see how you, you move through the room and just bring everybody together, because that's really your job. Tom is the Director of Agricultural Stakeholder Outreach, and he is with Extension, and we're super glad that he, he came out of radio to join Extension. He really keeps us all employed, so we're, we're really <laughs> excited that he's here. He makes sure that everyone knows why Extension is a great thing and, and all the work that we do. Tom, I'm pretty interested in where you got started. I, I don't think you didn't you weren't didn't grow up well you grew up in Minnesota but not entirely in Minnesota right where did you where were you before that I was born in uh, Mississippi lived in a small lived on a small hobby farm surrounded by a big cotton plantation my father was a research scientist for the U.S. Department of Agriculture he was a plant pathologist and uh, uh, studied oat rust and he was uh, raised in Michigan and went down to Mississippi in the 1950s with my mother and sisters and uh, had a big uh, awakening going from Michigan to Mississippi in the 1950s was uh, a different deal for them. And uh, that's where I was born and grew up, got transferred up here to the uh, uh, St. Paul campus of the University of Minnesota. And uh, we, I grew up right next to the campus. So the rest is history. Wow. Do you consider yourself a true Minnesotan then? Definitely. Yes, now. Go Twins. Yes, that's what we oh. needed to hear. Good work. Good work. <laughs> All right, before we get into more background, there's two questions we ask every guest. They're very serious. Bradley already told you before we got started here that there, there is a correct answer in his mind for one of them. Uh, but we'll start on the beef side. Uh, we ask every guest what their favorite beef breed is. Oh, that's interesting. There's a lot of cool breeds out there, I, I have to say. Uh, um, you know, I don't know if it's boring, but I'm, I'm going to go with a good Hereford. Yes! Oh! Dude. That is the second correct. Yes. <laughs> that is brutal. I can't, I don't, I just don't understand. Oh. They're pulling away. It's so definitive now. <laughs> All right. For oh, everyone man. who's keeping track at home, that puts Herefords at six, Black Angus at three, Kianina at one, Brahmin at one, Stabilizer oh. at one, and Black Baldy at one. Wow. Wow. Just pulling away, that, pulling oof. away. That is that is, that has made my day, Tom. Thank you. <laughs> Black right, Angus well. was my second choice. I will say. Doesn't help me now. Doesn't help me now. All right. Well, let's get to the second question, which is your favorite dairy breed. Again, there is a right choice. Lies. We'll see what you have to say. Well, again, there's a lot of fun breeds, but I, I have to say one. In particular, I've, I've always liked because I saw them in their homeland, and that was Brown Swiss. Ooh. Brown Swiss. That is strong. a really great choice. They've made quite the run-up here recently, haven't they? They have. They have. That have. actually ties them for first. That wow. puts Holsteins at four, Brown Swiss now at four, Jersey at three, which was the correct answer, Dutch Belted <laughs> at two, Normandy at one, Montbilliard at one. So huh. you've been to Switzerland? I have. I've been there a couple of times, and that's one of the coolest things in the world, is seeing those brown Swiss with the giant bells on on their necks and yeah. flowers on their heads coming out of the hills. And that's really a pretty spectacular oh. uh, sight to see and to hear. Yeah. When, when did you get a chance to go to Switzerland? I went twice in, in the 90s uh, uh, on a 
personal thing. I went with my my in-laws actually, and because uh, uh, they had been there once or twice before, and uh, uh, stayed at some really nice towns, um, and just uh, fell in love with the country. It was wonderful, Mark. Two sons were young. They got a chance to go too when they were in, uh, I think, elementary school, maybe early junior high. But um, it was it was fascinating. Love to go back. Yeah, we we've talked about it before on this podcast that that's one of the the places that we'd like to go as uh, as the Moose Room, and and maybe Bradley can fund it with all the grant money yeah. that he has. Or I mean, around. there must there must be a trade show we can go to, and then we can bring you with Tom. Euro tier, Euro tier. All right, perfect. It's a plan. I think probably a lot of our listeners know, uh, and and maybe they don't because they're pretty they're pretty young. Uh, Tom started the Minnesota Ag Network uh, in 1983, right, Tom? Yeah, 1983. Uh, we started Minnesota Farm Network and Minnesota News Network. Um, I had worked about two and a half years in Waterloo, Iowa. Before that, that's where I started my radio career in 1980, and then spent 30 years in Minnesota, beginning in 1983 to 2013 when I joined Extension. Tom is really uh, ahead of us uh, on all this uh, recording, podcasting, radio. He game. is actually an OG. Yeah, <laughs> uh, definitely. I'm sure we'll spend probably an hour after this just having him tell us what we could do better and and figure out how to, how to step up our game. But yeah, that that's a really valuable piece uh, of Minnesota. When I was in practice, I listened to the radio constantly. I was in the truck driving everywhere and every barn I went into had the radio going. And and for me, I think a lot of the younger generations think of radio as something very old and outdated. And I still think it plays a really big part, especially in the egg side of things. Is that something you see, Tom, still? Yes, very much so. And I think especially in uh, greater Minnesota, too, because one thing that radio can do very, very well is it can be part of a community. You know, radio is, especially in some smaller towns outside the metro area, radio is very involved with local sports, high school sports. I mean, that's a community thing. Local uh, agriculture, that's a community thing. You know, the obituaries, the school lunch menus, all those things. It's a community-oriented business. And it can do that in a lot of ways better than social media and, and newspapers because it's more immediate and, and it's easy to, to have on in the barn or have on in the house or wherever, your truck, your car. Uh, you don't have to really interact with it like you might have to with social media. You can just listen. And it is still very valuable in a lot of communities. And again, I think especially in smaller uh, non-metro areas, it's a very community-based industry. And I bet each of us could name several of those little small town stations that fit that exact description, Tom. So I think that's very accurate. I used to run into a, a lot of uh, farmers, not as much anymore, but they could tell they would live in a, a part of Minnesota, maybe south central Minnesota, and they could get several radio stations throughout the day that played what we used to call polka music or old time music. And they knew the radio station here, X would play it at nine o'clock and then somebody else would play it at 10 o'clock and somebody else would play it at 11 and they would just kind of move around the dial following their old time music. I thought it was great. I love that. I mean, there's definitely some some nostalgia to the radio and I I still listen to it in the shop when I'm working on something. I don't I don't usually have anything else out there but a radio. So I'm I'm all for it. Does it worry you at all, Tom, with I mean, to me, it seems like some of the radio industry is consolidating 
right? It's becoming bigger and bigger and bigger. And you're starting to, I don't know, at least on the music side, for sure, you're losing some of that local feel. At least that's what I'm saying. Is that, does that make you worried at all for the egg side of things as well? Yeah. I mean, I think we've seen that over the years that uh, just like in agriculture, we've seen a lot of consolidation. There are a lot less seed companies out there than there were 20, 30 years ago. So we've seen that consolidation too in radio. There aren't as many mom and pop shops as there used to be. They're owned by bigger companies now. But I think a lot of these companies have realized that the strength of those radio stations is not becoming just a, a vanilla milkshake. It's becoming, it's, it's rather, uh, their importance is in that community, like I talked about earlier. And so they try to keep that local identity, even though they're owned by a bigger corporation now or a, uh, an outfit that might own a dozen radio stations, if not more, they still try in many cases, not always, but in many cases, they still try to focus on the community. And I think that's the key. You know, one thing that I remember listening to the community feel, well, Joe probably had practiced uh, veterinarian down in uh, Zimbrota. So you're down in the mighty 920 uh, KDHL radio HL. era. And, you know, that's... Uh, was a staple in Southern Minnesota for some of us on, on the AM side to listen for farm reports, livestock markets, uh, you name it. It was uh, all there and it uh, still is. Uh, maybe not quite the as local feel as what it used to be, but um, yeah. Well, a lot of it is. I think Jerry Grosskreutz, you know, he, Jerry's- I was going to say, shout out to yeah. Jerry. <laughs> and, and Jerry, uh, you know, he still grows corn and soybeans down on his farm, family's farm in Wells in Southern Minnesota. And he's- uh, about as local as you can get. Jerry's a great guy. I recall when he started many, many years ago, and I I was around too when his predecessor, uh, Dean Curtis, was still the farm broadcaster at KDA. That goes back quite a long time. Well, and I think some from that standpoint, you know, there were some other stations. Well, WCCO in the Twin Cities used to have uh, farm broadcasting and a farm program. I don't know how much they do uh, anymore. It's hard to get WCCO out here in Western Minnesota, but uh, you know, that was a big part of WCCO back in the day, too, was uh, farm broadcasting. But, well, oh, Roger Strom was at least the the one that I knew there. Yeah, and you can go back to Chuck Lilligren and Maynard Spies and people like that that go back a long time. And, and as the metro area grew and more people uh, moved to the cities, there were fewer farmers, they made a decision at CCO. CCO was one of our, our big competitors when I was at the Minnesota Farm Network. And so we watched what they did very closely and and uh, they made a decision many years ago to not focus on agriculture anymore. They wanted to focus where the people were in the metro area, you know, sports, uh, Vikings, news, that kind of thing. Greater Minnesota is still a, a part of their audience, but they knew that if they had a lot of uh, farm broadcasting, a lot of, you know, market reports and that kind of thing, they would lose that non-farm audience at certain times. And so they thought, well, this is a decision we're going to make. So they got away from farm broadcasting for that very reason. And that, you know, those of us who were on other stations around the states, mother networks and other stations thought it was a great move. I'm not sure it was for them in the long run, but it was, we liked it at the time. Yeah, it was good, good deal. Good news for you guys. I remember talking with you at a trade show, Tom, and I remember you telling me that when you were doing a lot of live programs, it was a little bit of chaos in your life trying to run between all the different shows that you had to do every day. I don't remember how many you said you did every day, but it, it was quite a number and, and that was live, right? So, I mean, you have to be someplace at a specific time. 
Tell me a was, little bit how your life has changed since you've gotten out of that. <laughs> you know, you, you don't realize, um, I have a friend in, who was in radio a long, long time, and he says the same thing, that you don't realize that your life is run by the clock so much every day. I mean, you think about it because you, you look at a clock a lot, but you don't really realize it until you leave, until I joined Extension and you can, you can breathe, <laughs> you know? You're not looking at a second hand. I mean, when you did network radio, which is what I did most of my life, and, and local radio too, you make decisions and you stop and start on the second. It's, you know, if, if something's at 1258, it's at 1258, not 125756. You know, it's, it's a second and, and you operate like that. You, if like this podcast, we would have to end in an exact time. And sometimes that's not easy to do if you're still talking about a subject or your guest is still rambling away and you're trying to cut them off. It's, um, it's definitely, yeah, that one happened with us. <laughs> or Emily still rambling or. That's right. I would never. So it's, it was, it was a different life. I, I did 16 uh, shows a day in radio when I, when I left and some were short market reports, some were longer, you know, newscasts, weather commentary, that kind of thing. And, and 16 times a day, you had to be in your chair looking at that clock, looking at the second hand. So if you were you know, traveling to a meeting somewhere, going to the St. Paul campus for an interview or whatever it might be, you had to fight the traffic and get your car parked and get inside and sit down. And I remember many times closing the door as the second hand hit 12 and I'm breathing like this. And you know, <laughs> try not to sound like you just raced into the studio, but a lot of people do that. That, that sounds like a lot of work, a lot of work. And yeah, and it, and stressful. Yeah, to be governed by the clock to that extent. It's not just five minutes here, or five minutes there to the second is that would wear on you over a while after a while. It's funny, I talked to a lot of people who are no longer in radio, and they still have uh, dreams at night that the you know, the the second ad has hit 12, and they're not ready. And then they wake up. Oh, no. Or Or they don't have any script in front of them. And and they don't know what they're talking about. And, and uh, it's, you know, their sounder goes off and they're ready. And wow, it, it's one of those things that stays with you. Apparently. <laughs> yeah, definitely stays with you. Tom, before we move into talking a little bit more about what you do currently with Extension, you know, I was just curious as I was thinking about this earlier today, we were having you on and I'm really curious, you know, and, and try to be brief, but what are the biggest ways that you've noticed the egg landscape has changed since you've been involved in egg? Wow. Well, when I started, as I mentioned, it was in the 80s. And I started in Minnesota in 1983. And it was right at the beginning of the farm crisis years. And, you know, I was in my early 20s and it was still I was still kind of a greenhorn kind of learning things. And that was a real difficult time. That was a real difficult time. And it was it was hard, and I, you know, now we have the power of social media and interaction and the internet and and twenty four hour news cycles, and we know what's going on a little bit more now than we did then. I think if we had all of this back in say nineteen eighty five or, or the you know in the heart of the farm crisis, I think the landscape would have looked really pretty bad to a lot of us. I mean, there was a tremendous amount of stress, and it was tough. You know, people were getting shot. And, you know, suicide was a, was a serious issue, but we didn't hear about it as much as we do now. But, you know, it did change a lot. But Emily, you ask how it really changed. And 
for me, it, it doesn't really change that much. It goes in these cycles. Everybody knows in agriculture, there's cycles. We know about price cycles and, you know, yeah. the downs and the good years and bad years. And, you know, we're kind of seeing that cycle again of, well, things aren't always so good. Some people are doing well. A lot of people aren't. So to me, the change is the fact that it really hasn't changed. It's sure. in cycles. It's different. But, you know, there's still a lot of great people in agriculture, a lot of people that work so hard. I, I think, you know, folks in agriculture talk often about, you know, the people in the city don't understand agriculture and don't understand where their food comes from. You've all heard that. But to me, I don't think a lot of people in the city understand the stress that a lot of farmers are under just you know, producing food. I mean, it's a lot of work. You know that. Look at dairy alone. That's a lot of work. It's a lot of physical, it's a lot of mental stress. And I don't think a lot of people who aren't from the farm really understand it's a lot of work. You know, It's a lot of work and things don't always go as planned. We all know about weather issues and livestock uh, diseases and other problems. And, you know, there's a lot of things that people never think about unless they're dealing with it every day. I know that was kind of a long, weird answer to your question. <laughs> no, that was great. Yeah. And I, I'm actually really surprised how often I'm in the city because I live in the city now and I run into people that do have an agricultural background uh, in the city. You know, like, oh, yeah, I, I maybe they didn't grow up on a dairy farm, but they spent time on a dairy farm at least. And they have have some kind of connection. And I think that's probably pretty unique to Minnesota, maybe the Midwest in general. It's nice to see that there are still a lot of people in the city that have some connection. I wish it was more. I really do. So they could understand the stress, like you said, Tom, that 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 goes along with not only where your food comes from, but how it's made and, and how much effort it takes to do that. Twin I, Cities are unique because, you know, we have companies here, so many big companies based in the Twin Cities, CHS and Land Lakes and Cargill and the University of Minnesota. And you can go on and on with all these companies. So there is a there is some ag knowledge in the Twin Cities, no doubt about it. But there's a lot of people that don't don't get it. That's why we're doing podcasts like this, trying to get the word out, trying to do all these kind of things. We encourage everybody to listen, not just if you're a cow producer or dairy or beef producer. There's a lot to learn here on the Moose Room most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> and it's even Bold a lot of claim, work. Joe. Bold and it, claim. It's a lot of work even with one cow. Yeah, Bradley yes. milked one cow. So I've I've milked one cow through the pandemic. She ha she went to uh, another farm last weekend, but I just couldn't do it anymore. Okay, Bradley, be honest. <laughs> did did you cry when she left? I was sad when she left. <laughs> okay, okay. He didn't really I was question, sad. did he? No, he didn't, he didn't answer it at all. <laughs> was there something in your eye? Yes. When the <laughs> yes. pulled out the drive? Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. right. For sure. Well, Funny well, how that happens. Anyways. <laughs> Tom, Tom said go twins earlier, and I'm pretty sure he's a pretty big baseball fan. I even think that at some point that might've been a career option for you, right? In, in yeah. the past. <laughs> you have so a good memory. Point. Yeah, no, uh, actually I did kind of stumble into farm broadcasting. I have to be honest. Uh, uh, I started in, uh, at, at the university of Minnesota. I mentioned earlier, my father was a plant pathologist and I spent a lot of time on campus as a kid helping him, you know, water plants on the weekend and that kind of thing. And, I started at the U and uh, as an agronomy major, that's what I started as on the St. Paul campus and then realized right away that that probably wasn't for me. I enjoyed the science of it all, but I got into ag journalism right away. 
And after a couple of years, I it was your typical 20-year-old or 19, I guess, at the time, wondering what to do. And I always loved photography and, and I loved baseball. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to go to a broadcasting school and become a professional TV cameraman. That's what I wanted to do. And when I got to the school, they found out I was in ag journalism for a couple of years at the U. And uh, they said, why don't you become a farm broadcaster? There's a big demand for them out there. I said, well, sure, but what's that? <laughs> you know, um, I didn't have much exposure to farm broadcasting other than CCO that my parents had on. And um, so I was kind of talked into going in that direction and got a job down in Iowa and worked down there and then back to Minnesota. So it was uh, it was a I had a lot to learn. Let's put it that way. Big learning curve, really big learning curve for Tom. But <laughs> do you still you still do some of the photography? I still like photography. Oh, that's changed. You know, Emily was asking about how agriculture's changed. Yeah. I have uh, some wonderful gear that I'd be willing to sell you real cheap from the uh, 1980s and 70s, but now everybody just holds their camera up and takes a picture <laughs> and oh. really nice pictures. Yeah, and I I mean I used to even when I was in high school, we had a photography class and I would be in the dark room mm-hmm. and I and we used to develop, you know, used to develop x-rays in the dark room as well. So I've had that experience and there's something about it that's really nice. I like the dark room, but uh, yeah, it's changed a little bit now that pretty much every phone has a camera that's better than anything I had in high school. That's right. So you still follow the twins, I assume. Still follow the twins. Yep. Hopefully they'll be back to uh, a normal season this year or something close to it. I hope so. Do you make it down to spring training ever? Uh, you know, I went one year, but I didn't get a chance to go to the Twins. It was actually during a convention and something happened. I think we had weather issues and never got to see a game. But uh, I used to go to Arizona every once in a while and get to see the uh, the Cubs play and, and the uh, San Francisco uh, Giants play. But I never really got to see a Twins game uh, in spring training. Well, it sounds like we just identified our next Moose Room trip that Tom will be joining us on. <laughs> that is right. There's plenty of agriculture in Florida we can explore That's right. and learn about. So, yes. And we are count there. me in on that one. Yeah, completely different <laughs> yeah, I know some too. people. I'll make some calls. Okay. <laughs> Emily's on it. We're, we got two trips planned. We're going to Switzerland and Fort Myers. That's that's what we're doing. Perfect. The moose room on the road. Um, I guess we should talk about your job now, Tom. We've talked plenty about your past, and, and I alluded to what you do now, but... Um, Tell us about your role and, and I guess briefly tell us about your role and then really tell us about how your role has changed since COVID started and how much harder it's become. Well, there is change involved because uh, uh, as, as you know, the University of Minnesota offered an early retirement buyout to a lot of people. And my three-person department is down to one. It's down to me now because my two coworkers are retiring. Wow. My job is changing as of, uh, of January 1. So it'll it'll be a little different. I'll be doing a lot of the same stuff in agriculture and going to trade shows and farm fest and, and that kind of work. But I do now some government relations work and I'll be doing uh, quite a bit more on the on the state and federal level for extension, um, basically trying to get lawmakers and their staff to understand what extension is all about. And as you know, Extension's huge. I mean, there's a lot of stuff done at Extension. I'm still learning. I've been at Extension eight years and I'm still learning all the different things. I mean, all of you are involved in agriculture, which I think a a lot of people associate Extension with, but it's also communities and families and youth, 4-H. It's natural resource work. I mean, it's, it's huge. 
And it's important to get lawmakers to understand, the general public to understand what extension is all about. I mean, there's still a lot of people, maybe you get it, uh, who think extension is really means night classes at the university. That's what extension is, because that's what it was thought of years and years and years ago. You take an extension class at night and you get credit for going to college. That's not extension, but there are people that have that in their mind. So our job and my job is to try to help people in agriculture or elsewhere now in government to understand all that extension does. And it's a lot. It is a ton. And I, I think, you know, Emily has talked about it before on the podcast that it's just, it's huge. And yeah, we focus a lot on the egg, but there's, there's a lot of other pieces and there's a lot of other people that do uh, amazing work. And I, I think a lot of times it kind of runs in the background and, and people are unaware that extension is the one that's the driving force behind a lot of these things that are happening. And I think it's, it's great that you have the, the opportunity or the ability to, to get that word out there. Cause we do, I'm, I'm not afraid to take credit. These guys know, uh, but I think a lot of our other colleagues uh, are a little more humble, uh, not Bradley, but not to toot your own horn, but toot toot. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you got to do that. Sometimes and you have to remember that two thirds, two thirds of the employees of extension faculty and staff are outside the twin cities metro area. So right. part of the university that's all around the state of Minnesota extension has an office of various sizes in every county of the state, often associated with, uh, with the county and uh, 4-H programs. So we're all over Minnesota doing, doing good work. And it, it varies from county to county, the kind of work, but it's, it's, it's amazing when you look at the breadth of, of work that extension is involved in. Yeah, I think it's it's a it's a great place if you want to find people that are very proud of their state, proud of the culture that that extension has tried to build around the state. You're not going to find more passionate people in my mind uh, who really love the state and really want to showcase what the state has to offer to to the rest of the country and to the world. That's perfect. That's where we want to be. Joe, that's so nice. <laughs> I know. It's weird. It's weird. It's like I'm getting a little bit choked up over here. Uh, wow. Right. And you, you know, one of the things I really like about working at Extension is I'm often asked to moderate panels at various kinds of things. And I always look to see if there's someone from Extension on the panel. Because without fail, when I moderate something and there's an Extension person, there's never dead air. People with extension love to communicate. You know, they love to talk. That's what extension is all about is communicating knowledge to people. And, and it's great. I love having extension staff and faculty on panels because you're not boring. I will tell all three of you, you're not boring. You know, <laughs> you have <laughs> the gift things, of gab. Yeah. <laughs> you know? well, that's, that's a big deal. Good. Nobody wants to listen to boring people. They want to listen to people who have something to say, who enjoy what they're saying, who are passionate about their work. And, that really sums up a lot of people in extension. Yeah, boy, if you're looking for three unboring, passionate people, no further <laughs> than the booze room, that's for sure. So, Tom, I've actually noticed that that same thing holds true for extension in other states as well. Do you get a chance to work with other state extension offices or services ever? No, I, I meet a few in some of the uh, uh, national gatherings that we've had for um, government relations work, but I don't really get to work in my role yet with uh, too many folks from Extension in other parts of the state. A little bit with uh, Eden, which is the Extension's Disaster Education Network, but I'm still kind of new to that committee. So um, just starting to learn more about folks from other states. 
I've, I've noticed there's definitely like an immediate camaraderie when I've been at conferences or other places. And you say that you're, uh, especially veterinary conferences. If I say I I'm a, a veterinarian that works for extension, it seems like for whatever reason, all the extension veterinarians tend to just end up together. Maybe it's because we're the only ones still at the bar at 2 a.m. But I mean, <laughs> we end up in the same place every time. There's definitely a sense of camaraderie with other states for the most part. I think that's it's a it's an amazing group to be a part of. Yep. Yeah, you are so right, Joe. I think that as I've gone to different national conferences and like you just have those people that become rock solid friends, like our former guest John David. That's a perfect perfect example of one. Well, one thing I have. So, how do we tell the public and other people in the state the value of extension? How do we communicate that value to people? You know, it's sometimes we struggle trying to think about what we do. Does it have impact for people? Does it impact people all over the state? You know, sometimes I think we all struggle at how do we communicate that and how do we determine the impact that our work in extension has for the state or the U.S.? Well, you're right, Brad. It's, it's a difficult. It's it's a difficult thing. I think if it was easy, we would have all uh, accomplished it. So you know, already some time ago. Uh, but I don't think there's one way to do it. I think it takes a collective group of not only people within extension, but our supporters, our volunteers at Master Gardeners or 4-H or wherever they might be, um, to help spread the word as well. And it's sometimes just person-to-person contact. You know, a neighbor telling a neighbor. Sometimes it's you speaking at a conference, talking about your work and the impact that it has on organic dairy farmers, for instance. Um, Everything we do adds up. I don't think any one of us can do something that's going to change, um, uh, you know, the collective view of extension. But with all of us making sure that we let people know that it's extension doing this work and it's extension staff and faculty bringing that knowledge to uh, the public, and this is our work, and this is the impact it's having on people, I think that's how we get it done. We have to do it collectively because one of us isn't going to make a difference. Yeah, I think that's a really great point, Tom, and I like that because I was reminded of this too earlier when you were talking about all the variety of work that Extension does. And yeah, we have our different areas of work around the organization, but we're also all very connected in that one way or in another in one way or another our work kind of feeds off of each other mm-hmm. and so i feel like that's also why it's important to have that kind of collective voice from extension because we can all tell a, diff- a different part of that story and a lot of people who work who outside of extension who have some knowledge of extension usually only understand extension because of their connection you know, they might be a 4-H adult leader. So that's really how they know extension is 4-H. Or they might um, be connected with the tourism center somehow. And that's their connection to extension work. Yeah. So we have to make sure that people understand the breadth that we talked about earlier of all the things that, that extension is involved in. And that's what we try to do with lawmakers. You know, if you meet with a, a staff person, you only meet for 15 minutes, a half hour. There's no way you can explain everything that extension does. So you, you try to hit the highlights. You try to hit things that those lawmakers or others might be interested in. But you always try to make sure they understand that there's a whole lot more that we'll be back again to tell you about that, too. So, you know, I've had the opportunity to go to D.C., with extension and speak to our lawmakers and their staffers. And 
Yeah, I know it's it's overwhelming to think about. Okay, I, I want to tell them everything I'm doing, but I need to pick, you know, the one or two really big ones and keep it yep. to 30 seconds. But it's yeah, I mean, they always seem really interested in in what we're doing and and happy with what we're doing. It's, you know, been a little eye-opening to me as I have interacted with extension employees from around the country, there isn't always strong support from their state government for extension. And I mean, we are just so, so, so fortunate that we have, I mean, so much support coming in from, you know, no matter the party, no matter the area of the state, um, there's a lot of respect uh, for our work and people really see it as a priority and I think that's really, really cool and says a lot about what we do in Minnesota. And I think that says a lot about extension personnel, you know, around the state. They do have an impact on their community. No matter what area of extension they're working in, they do have an impact. And a lot of lawmakers do see that. They do know that. But the work, it's not just a a one visit and you're done. This is like an ongoing educational process to let people know, not just lawmakers, but everybody. You can't just do it once and move on. It's it's an ongoing educational process. But I think we've done some good job, and, you, and you're right, Emily. Um, um, there are a lot of lawmakers that do understand the value of extension in Minnesota and the research work at the University of Minnesota, not just extension, but uh, the collective mm-hmm. university and its value to the state. And that's brought to the state oftentimes by extension. Yeah, absolutely. Perfect. Any other questions for Tom? Tom, any questions for us? Uh, it's like a job interview. <laughs> <laughs> any good movies? Have you seen any good movies lately? <laughs> any good movies? No. Since my child was born, we have not watched a single movie. Oh, wow. Tanya Harding movie last night. Ooh. Oh, well, that's Emily's, Emily's Field. Mm-hmm. Yes, I was going to ask Emily if she saw that and if she thought oh. it was I mean, accurate. <laughs> um. <laughs> <laughs> the the actual skating in it was not accurate at all. Like there's one part I think they say like, oh, she did like a triple toe loop, and the stunt skater did like a double flip, and it was like, oh, okay, <laughs> whatever. But yeah, we just opened a big can of worms with yeah. that. <laughs> Sorry, I'll put a lock on it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I think uh, before we get down a wormhole of uh, of figure skating with Emily, I think we'll we'll just wrap it there. We'll call it a day. Thank all you, right. Tom, for being on. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It was fun. Uh, we try to have fun here. That's what we try to do. If you don't think we had fun or you didn't have fun listening, you have skating rebuttals, comments, questions. Please send them to the Moosroom at umn.edu. That's T-H-E-M-O-O-S-R-O-O-M at umn.edu. Please check out the website, extension.umn.edu. And check us out on Facebook at umnbeef and at umndairy. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll catch you next week. Bye. Bye. Why, why didn't you push the Twitter? I just, I'm not, I'm not ready yet. I don't even know what our handle is. It's the at umnboosroom. T H E M O O R S M O R S. Did I mess it up? Yes. Every time. Every time.